everyone. Good to be here today and to see you all again. Uh, before we start, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning that we can gather, to, gather together and just worship your holy name. And Father, we thank you for your word which has been given to us. We pray that as we look to it, Lord, you would just open our hearts and our minds to the truths which you have to reveal to us this morning. Father, I pray that you would bless these words that I'm about to say and that you would just bless the time we have together now. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well today I'd like to look at uh, the first part of Colossians chapter 3. So I encourage everyone to uh, open up to that passage in the Bible. We're going to be starting at verse 1. Now, if we look at Colossians chapter 3, there's a lot packed in there. Paul goes through and he includes, includes a lot of just key uh, elements of Christian living. I mean, one could almost look at this passage as being kind of a cliff notes to Christian living and to how to live as a follower of Jesus. And so he goes through, and as we're going to read, we're going to see, you know, different, uh, you know, key points that he kind of highlights uh, throughout the passage. And he kind of starts off starting everything with Jesus. He goes on to uh, talk about maintaining a godly perspective on life, about the need to clean up our lives, about ensuring that we're bearing fruit, and then encouraging us and telling us what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. So start off, let's uh, start reading at verse, uh, verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. And so before Paul gets into anything about how we are to live, he starts off with Jesus. And that's important because if you talk to a lot of people, there's a lot of people who are interested in getting their lives together and, and changing and growing and putting on the new self. There's a lot of people who look at themselves and say, hey, you know, I'm not where I need to be, I need to improve. But the mistake that a lot of people make, and I'm not necessarily saying us here, but if we went out to the local community and talked to people, invited them to church, an answer that we might hear from a lot of people is, well, you know, I've been thinking of going to church, and I'd really like to go to church and, you know, learn more about Jesus, but, you know, I need to get my life in order first. There's some things I need to sort out, I need to get taken care of first. Well, that's completely wrong. That's kind of like saying, well, I'm kind of fat and out of shape, so I'm going to work out, get myself in shape, and then I'm going to join a gym. No, you don't get yourself in shape so you can join a gym. You join a gym to get yourself in shape. And so in the same way, we turn to the church, we turn to Jesus so we can get our lives in order. And so Paul's going to go on here, and he's going to talk about all these things uh, that we're called to, that we need to do, how we get our lives in order, but we can't start down that road until we first turn to Jesus. And so the first thing we need to do is to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Because as we look at our lives, as we look at Scripture, we realize that we're all sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. None of us here can, you know, raise our hand and say, you know what, I, I've lived a perfect life, I'm good to go. If we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all fallen short. And so we all need Jesus. We need his love. We need his, his coming to this earth, his death, his resurrection, through which we are saved from our sins. The verse that we hear a lot, we hear John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
everlasting life starts with Jesus. And so that's why Paul, when he starts off this passage in chapter 3, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Because everything he's about to say is aimed at believers. It's aimed at followers of Jesus. This isn't, you know, a message to the general population. He's specifically directing this at believers. So he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so the first thing that Paul tells us is that we need to maintain a godly perspective. And so we need to first start with Jesus, and then we need to maintain a godly perspective. And what that means is that we need to align the way that we see life, the way we look at the world. We need to align that with the way that God looks at the world. Now, we're never going to have his understanding, his wisdom. We're never going to be able to understand it maybe the same way he has, but we can bring our view of things in alignment with his. Because one of the things we run into, one of the problems we see is that it's very easy to kind of get tunnel vision. We look at what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our immediate future, whatever's stressing us out, whatever problems are in front of us, and we kind of narrow down our focus on these things. The problem is when we do that, we tend to make bad decisions. We tend to, tend to fall short. I mean, just think of your own life. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've looked back at maybe the past few days and you're like, well, you know, I, you know, I got a little upset, whether angry, sad, worried, has there ever been a time when you've gotten upset, you've got worked up about something, and then a few days later you look back and you're like, you know what, that was kind of a silly thing. I really shouldn't have behaved that way. I know I have. Has anyone else here ever, you know, been in those shoes? Yeah. I think we all have. And, and when we're, you know, going down that path, a lot of times we look back and we're like, oh, I really could have handled that differently. And the problem is, is that, you know, our focus narrows, and so by doing that, we kind of tune out a lot of important things. We tune out you know, God's direction on what is right and wrong, God's direction on how to live. We, you know, can even kind of tune out common sense because our, 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 fo our vision becomes focused specifically on the issue, the problem, the, the immediate future. And so Paul's saying here, he says, don't focus on these earthly things. Focus on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. We need to look at life as God looks at it. We need to have a godly perspective. And so when we do that, we, we gain a few things. A godly perspective allows us to see life through the lens of eternity, that whatever you're dealing with, whatever issue you have, whatever problem, right now it may seem like a huge deal, but if you step back and say, okay, in God's grand plan, from the beginning of time to the end, in God's grand plan, how big a deal is this thing that's right in front of me right now? And a lot of times what we realize is, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. This is a small little thing. A godly perspective also allows us to see things through God's view of right and wrong. This world, if we went out in the street and asked people, you know, what is right, what is wrong, we'd probably come up with dozens of different answers and they'd all conflict with one another. This world has kind of, we've lost our sense of what is right and wrong, and so we need to turn to God, we need to turn to Scripture to get that. Godly perspective also allows us to see things through the view of God's love. That whatever the issue is, whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're getting upset about, we need to remember that God loves us. That God loves me, God loves you. 
God loves us. It says in John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God loves you like a child. And not only that, but a godly perspective reminds us that God is powerful. He is mighty. Jeremiah 10 says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. And so as we go through life, we see these, these things ahead of us and they seem like big mountains that we can never cross, that we can never overcome. But when we look at them with a godly perspective, when we look at them in the view of eternity, through God's love, through God's priorities, uh, through God's power, we see that what are mountains to us are nothing before God. And so we need to achieve this godly perspective. But one thing we often ask ourselves is, okay, that's great, but you know, how do I do that? And it, it's not easy. It's something, you know, it's basically changing the way that we think. And so we need to change our habits. We need to change our patterns. We need to look at, you know, regular study of the Bible, constantly thinking about God's word. And, and whether it's an in-depth Bible study for an hour or whether it's just, you know, reading yourself a psalm in the morning and whatever it is throughout the day, short or long, we need to keep our mind on God's word. We need to keep our mind on prayer, on praying for God. There's nothing too small that we can't lift up to God. So we look at prayer constantly throughout the day, and we just do whatever we can to keep God on our minds throughout the day. And like I said, this is kind of a habit that we have to form. This isn't something that we just, you know, flip a switch and all of a sudden, you know, we're able to keep our mind on things that are above. No, our temptation is constantly going to be to think on worldly things, think on earthly things. And so we just need to kind of cultivate the habits. We need to kind of cultivate our mind to constantly be thinking of God, constantly be kind of readjusting our perspective to see things as God does. And so Paul continues on here in verse 5, and he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so Paul's next instruction is, he says, to set your mind on things above, and then he says, to put to death what is earthly in you and to put on the new self. This may remind some of you of 2 Corinthians where Paul writes, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. And this idea of, of cleaning up our lives, of getting the sin out of our lives, is something that we see you know, throughout Jesus' teaching. We see it throughout the epistles and, and Paul's teaching and the teachings of the other apostles. And it's not only referred to as you know, putting on a new self, being a new creation, but also the idea, the analogy of cleansing, of cleaning, is used. Hebrews 10 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so the next thing Paul's really saying is to sum this up, Paul's saying that we need to clean up our lives. And just a reminder, Paul's aiming this at believers. 
You know, sometimes we think, oh, yeah, my, my life is clean. Or, you know, if someone is a believer, their life is clean. Well, if it was, Paul wouldn't be saying this. But no, he's saying this because there were believers who had dirt in their lives, who needed to get their lives together. And the fact is, is that we tend to tell ourselves these little lies that prevent us from getting the sin out of our lives. For example, one of the lies that we tell ourselves is we, we tell ourselves that, you know what, my life, my life is already cleaned up. You know, maybe you can point to in the past and you say, you know what, I was struggling with alcohol and addiction and various things, but I've put that behind me. I'm free and clear. Well, if that's the case, that's absolutely wonderful. I mean, it, it, it's, I'm not for one minute going to, you know, criticize that when we leave sins behind and we move on. But we need to remember that we're still imperfect. We still, each of, and every one of us, have room to grow, have areas that we need to get cleaned up. I mean, some of the areas that it lists here uh, in the passage, in verse 5, it says covetousness, which is idolatry. I think a lot of us have had covetousness to one degree or another. I mean, there's things that we desire, and maybe it's a new, you know, it's a new tool or a new toy or, you know, something that we want, that we want to buy. Maybe it's a, you know, a vacation. Maybe it's a, a crush on another person. There's things that we want, there's things that we desire, and it's very easy for those things to consume our thoughts. It's very easy to wake up in the morning thinking about, oh yeah, I was over at my friend's house and he had one of these things and I'd love to save up and get one. And then you go through the day thinking about how you can get one, how, you know, how you can you know, save up money, whatever it is, and you just spend all your free energy and time pursuing that thing. But the problem is, is that with all the time and energy and thought that you're putting into that, you're doing what Paul said right at the beginning there. He says you're setting your mind on things that are on the earth. You're not, not setting your mind on things that are above. So we need to watch our desires lest they become covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul also talks about the language that we use. In verse 8, he says, you know, it talks about uh, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Uh, in other passages, we see talk about gossip and the evils of gossip. And now, if I ask you know, just a random believer. My guess is that, you know, most of us would say if asked that, you know, I'm not a gossip. I don't gossip. I don't tell things to, you know, other people. I keep them to myself. But then if pressed, that person might say, well, I don't gossip, but I do have one or two people who I, you know, who I confide in, one or two people who I share everything with. The danger is that if you have one or two people that you share everything with, those one or two people probably also have one or two people that they share everything with. And then those people have one or two people. And so you can kind of see where this goes is that, you know, we can tell ourselves, oh, I'm not gossiping. I'm only telling one or two people. But then as those people tell one or two people more, all these people who aren't gossipers can still end up causing a lot of gossip, can still end up having these stories go around. And so we need to really be honest with ourselves. We need to really examine ourselves. And, you know, when we do these things, we don't necessarily do them maliciously. No one says, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to be a gossip. But we hear something and we just get excited and, oh, we have to tell and I can't believe this and I need to share this with someone. And, and, you know, and we, we, we can't hold it all in. Another thing Paul hits on here is he talks about lying. Lying is another area where I think a, a lot of people struggle. Not necessarily in outright blatant lies, you know, saying, oh, well, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a red shirt today, you know, or something, you know, obvious like that. But I think a lot of us can fall into the trap of kind of doing these mental and moral gymnastics that we, when we're talking to someone, we say, you know what, we, we try to frame things in a way that we're not technically lying, 
but yet we're also not presenting the truth. Let me give you an example. Say you're, you know, it's a Saturday, your, your spouse, significant other, whoever is going off for the day, doing their things, and you're at home, and they say to you, hey, I'd really like you to work on these things today. You know, I really, you know, it'd really be a blessing if you could get these things done. And you say, absolutely, I'm going to get them done. And so then they leave, and then you're like, I'm just so exhausted. I got no sleep last night. I'm going to go back, sleep a little bit more before I get the day started. That way I can have plenty of energy. So you do that, then you get up, and well, you know, you need to have breakfast. You need to have energy before you start the day. So you have breakfast, and you figure, well, I'm eating breakfast. Let me turn on the TV and watch an episode or two of my favorite show on Netflix. And, and one thing leads to another, and then it's time for lunch, and then all of a sudden it's getting to the end of the day, and you're realizing, oh, wow, I need to get started on these things. And so you get started on them. There's no way you're going to get them all done, but you get started on them, and then your Uncle Joe comes over, and, and talks to you for five minutes, just asking you a question, and then Uncle Joe leaves, and then you get on with things, and eventually your spouse comes home, and you say to them, you know, well, you know what, I, I was working away on things today, making a lot of progress, and then Uncle Joe came over, and, you know, one thing led to another, and then, you know, then he left, but after he left, there was no time left to get everything done. You know, and so a lot of times we, we, we you know, are tempted to kind of tell stories like that, and now, is that a lie? I mean, Uncle Joe did come over. You were working on things. He did interrupt you. And when he left, you didn't have enough time. I mean, all those things, if you were a, a lawyer here, you could say, you could say, yes, that's absolutely true. But we got to remember that God doesn't look. God isn't a lawyer. God looks at our hearts. And in our heart, he sees an intent to deceive. In our heart, he sees us knowing the truth and regardless of what words we use, trying to present the story in such a way that the person we're presenting it to doesn't get the truth, they get what we want them to have. And so Paul talks about lying, and we don't want to just say, oh, nope, I'm not a liar, I don't tell lies. We need to pause, we need to step back and say, okay, you know, am I being upfront with people? Am I being honest? Am I giving people the whole truth? Or am I kind of spinning things and twisting things and doing these gymnastics so that people hear what I want them to hear? And we can look at this in, in any area, any area of sin in our life. We just fight, constantly are fighting the temptation to try to, to try to justify it, to try to weasel our way out of it, to try to argue, well, you know, it's really not so bad. But we need to be blunt and honest with ourselves. Because if we're not, we're never going to get our lives cleaned up. And that's what we're called to do. Another lie that we tell ourselves is we may say, okay, you know, my life isn't cleaned up, but you know what, I'm not perfect. But I'm a lot better than that guy, and a lot better than her. You know, we, we can look around us and look at all the struggles of people around us and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not like them. I still, I still have stuff to do, but they're in really rough shape. They really need the focus. They really need the help. The problem is that God doesn't call you to be not the worst person. If, if you're running a race, being not the last person in the race doesn't get you anything. And we're called to run a spiritual race. And when Paul talks about this, he doesn't say, you know, run in such a way that you aren't the last person. No, he says we need to aim, we need to run for a crown. And so we need to have the right perspective on things. We're not called to be the least bad person. We're called to be clean, to be fully clean. Now, there's a story I once heard about a, a young boy. And he was in brushing his teeth, and his mother was in the other room. And all of a sudden, she hears... Oh, oh, no, oh, no, oh, 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 and him panicking. And so she comes running into the room to, to see what's going on. 
And he's there, and he's looking at the toilet, and he points, and he says, oh, I dropped my toothbrush in the toilet. And she says, okay. Well, and she kind of fishes it out and then throws it in the garbage and, you know, gets a new one. He's like, well, what'd you do? He's like, oh, well, when the toothbrush falls in the toilet, you know, we don't want to use that anymore. It's dirty. We're going to get a new one. And he says, oh, okay. So then he reaches up, grabs her toothbrush out of the holder, throws it in the garbage. And she looks at him. She says, well, why did you do that? And he says, oh, it fell in last week. And so we hear this story, and honestly, when I, when I, even saying that, it makes me cringe a little bit when you think about that. But let me ask you a question. How much toilet water does it take for that brush to become unclean? Do you, do you just have to dip the first couple bristles in? Does it have to be fully submerged? At what level do we say, nah, nah, let's throw that out and let's get a new one? You know, what about time? Does the five-second rule apply that, you know, that we get out? No. We want that toothbrush to be wholly clean. And that's basically the same way that God looks at sin. God doesn't say, ah, good enough. No. God wants us to be clean, to be perfectly clean of sin in our lives. In Matthew, Jesus says, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our standard isn't that we're better than others. Our standard is God. And if God is perfect, our heavenly Father is perfect, then we are called to be perfect. Now, this leads to one of the other lies that we sometimes tell ourselves. We say, well, I'm not perfect. I, I'm never going to be able to get my life in order. There, there's just nothing I can do. And, you know, there's a, a sliver of truth in that, and that, yes, you know, until glorification, until Christ comes again, we're not going to be perfect. We're, we're going to have struggles. We're going to have obstacles. We're going to have things to overcome. But we still call to keep our standard at perfection. We're still called to hold Jesus, to hold God as our standard. And this is an ongoing process. And it's an arduous process. And the best thing I can think to compare it to is like a farmer who's clearing his field for the first time. Now, many of you have probably driven through the country and you look in the hedgerows and what do you see? You see boulders and rocks and sometimes, you know, little stone walls and you see all these rocks and stones in the hedgerows. Well, what happened is the farmer came, he cleared the field of trees, and he looked out and he said, you know what, there's a dozen big boulders in this field. I can't plant this field and work this field with a dozen boulders in there. I'm just not going to get the, the yield that I want. So the farmer went and he pulled those dozen boulders out, tossed them in the hedgerow. Then the farmer came back to the field, looked again, and now that those boulders were gone, his eyes were drawn to, well, there's dozens of these medium rocks that are just sitting there in the field. So the farmer said, okay, I need to get these rocks, get them out. And then once those medium-sized rocks were gone, he looked again, and he hadn't noticed them before, but there's hundreds of these smaller rocks. And so the farmer keeps on going, getting more and more rocks out of the field, but as he does, he sees more and more smaller rocks, because at the beginning, his focus was on the big boulders, but once he got them, he kept looking, and he kept seeing more and more rocks. And that's the way it is with our lives when we try to eliminate sin. When we first come to Christ, we've got big boulders in our life. We've got big big sins that we need to uh, move on from, that we need to get rid of, that we need to put to death, as Saul said, uh, Paul says here. But then as we go on, as we grow as a believer, as we mature, we don't necessarily get free of all the rocks in our lives. They become smaller, but a lot of times they also become more numerous. And so it's an ongoing process of constantly getting the rocks out of our field. And it can be discouraging. 
You know, I mean, just think about it. Year after year, you're constantly trying to improve, and you keep on looking at your life, and you realize, wow, I've still got a long way to go. I've still got a lot of growing. I've still got a, a lot to do. But what we need to do in those cases, we need to turn around and look at the head grow behind us. And when we do that, we see all the boulders that we've taken out. We see all the rocks, all the stones that we've piled up. And we can look back at our lives and see where we were a year ago, where we were five years ago, ten years ago, and see what God has done in our lives. See what change he's made in our lives. See all the stones that he's helped us remove and how he's brought us to where we are today. And so with that, we can move forward in confidence knowing that God is going to continue to work in us, to continue to help us remove the stones, the sins from our life. And so Paul tells us, he says, that we need to put to death what is earthly within you. We need to, in essence, clean up our lives. He continues on in verse 12 saying, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, Paul's emphasizing here that we don't just need to eliminate the bad things. We don't just need to eliminate the sin from our life, but rather we have to replace the bad things. We need to fill our life with good things. This verse is very similar to what he writes in Galatians chapter 5, where he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so the, these fruits of the Spirit is what we need to be bearing, is what we need to be seeing growing in our lives. And so the fourth point that Paul makes here is that we need to ensure that we are bearing fruit. And these fruits don't come naturally. It's not something that we can just look inside ourselves and we'll find, you know, joy, we'll find peace, we'll find love, we'll find these things. No, because our natural selves are sinful. And this is a big, you know, philosophical debate that's been going on for, you know, for centuries, for millennia, is, is people arguing over the question, is mankind basically good or basically evil? Is man, you know, sometimes phrases is man inherently good or inherently evil. And some people say, oh, you know, inherently good. Everyone's inherently good, but then as we go through life, you know, say someone commits murder, well, they're really a good person, but you know what? Their circumstances were hard, their parents treated them poorly, they, they didn't get an education, they had all these things, and all these things conspired against them to lead them down the wrong path. While that's a very popular view today, it's, it's, it's not biblical. The biblical view is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's not just what we see from the Bible, I mean, we see it from common sense. I mean, if you think of, if you have a small child, and you say to them, you know what, I'm not going to discipline you, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to give you any instruction. I'm going to let you live your life, do exactly what you want, when you want. I'm giving you complete freedom. How is that child going to end up? I think we all agree that child's going to probably be a little bit of a brat, you know, because it, you know, our natural inclination is to be selfish, is to pursue what's good for me, what I want, when I want it. And it's only through discipline. It's only through fighting against our natural self that we put that away, that we put to death what is earthly, what is evil, 
and we put on what is good. And so these fruits of the Spirit require effort, and we need to develop them. And we do that partially through the working of the Holy Spirit in us. It says in Scripture that all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so through the Holy Spirit working in us and through prayer, constant prayer to the Lord, asking him, you know, hey, how, how can I grow? How can I increase in joy? How can I increase in peace and gentleness in love? We need to pray for these things. A lot of times we pray for our specific issues at hand. You know, oh, this is stressing me out, Lord. Please help me with this. But we really need to be praying for spiritual growth as well. We need to be looking at all these things we, we read here in Colossians as well as in Galatians and going one by one and saying, Lord, I want you to grow me in this area. I want you to bear more fruit in me. Show me how I can grow in this area. We do it through prayer. We do it through Bible study. In a big way, we, we can grow in Christ is in accountability. Accountability is so important, and whether that's a, a, a friend who's an accountability partner or a spouse or or whoever it is in your life, we all need to have someone who holds us accountable, someone who we can sit down and we can have these discussions with and say, hey, you know, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. You know, on Sunday today, I just wanted to, to get your opinion, you know, and go through one by one and say, hey, you know, it, it, it says here, you know, that, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, increasing in love, you know, in your view of my life, am I a loving person? Do you see me, you know, showing love to others? Do you see me showing gentleness? Do you show me, see me showing kindness, humility, meekness, patience? Going through one by one and asking someone what they think and how you can improve. And if you have someone who you trust and who loves you, they'll be honest with you. They might say, hey, you're a very loving and you're a very joyful person, but you know what? You're not a very peaceful person. You know, your emotions tend to get the better of you, and you go from worry to frustration to anger, and you're kind of swept left and right, and you really just don't have any peace in your life. And there's nothing more wonderful than having a loving friend who can tell you these things. Because we don't want to go through life just thinking, hey, I'm A-OK, -okay, I'm good to go. We need to realize where we're weak, where we need to grow, and we need to get better. And we, since we tend to kind of, in our own minds, it's very hard to be honest with ourselves about these things. That's why it's so valuable to have someone who can keep you accountable. So Paul finishes up here and he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so here Paul transitions to looking at our hearts, to looking at our actions, and what does it mean to, to live as a follower of Christ, and, and what does that look like? And, it's, and our actions are important, because a lot of times we get really focused on knowledge. And to give you an example, that's kind of like, say, say there was a couple who was going away on vacation, and they had a house sitter, someone coming to watch the house. And so while they're off on vacation, they, or before they go off on vacation, they prepare this big pamphlet of instructions, everything to do. You know, you need to, you know, feed the cat. You know, here's the food. Here's how often. You know, it's, it's wintertime. These pipes tend to freeze, so leave that faucet on trickle. You know, this is the garbage day. Take out the garbage. All the instructions. Very thorough. And the person says, yep, I got it. I'm good to go. They come back. They walk into the house. 
It's filled with trash. The cat's dead from starvation. They look over. The, the room's flooded. And they ask the person, and they say, what happened? Didn't you read the instructions? And the person says to them, oh, yeah, I read the instructions. I read them every day. I memorized portions of them. I, I, I read them with my friends, and we discussed them together, and I, I taught it to my friends. And, you know, we came up with little songs about the instructions. And they can say all these things, but the end goal is, is that you, you want them to follow the instructions. And so in the same way, God doesn't just want us to learn these things, but he wants us to live these things. And so Paul starts, he gives us, a, you know, some examples of what this looks like in our lives. In verse 13, he shows us that it looks, it's forgiving one another. It's having a heart of forgiveness, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It's in studying scripture, in verse 16 here, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, but not just learning for ourselves, but teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, that we're not just concerned with our own spiritual knowledge, but we're seeking to share with others. We're seeking to build up, to edify others. It's in, excuse me, it's in worshiping, as in verse 16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's in being thankful. We see this in 15, 16, and 17. Each verse ends with thankfulness. 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and finishes up, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and finishes up with thankfulness in your hearts. In verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So we give thanks to the Father, and ultimately, we do everything in the name of Jesus. We do things not for our own sake, for our own benefit, but for the glory of God. And we can only do that when we've already done the things that Paul's looked at, when we've already set our mind on things that are above when we've started with Jesus, we've maintained a godly perspective, we've cleaned up our life, or are cleaning up our lives, we're ensuring that we're bearing fruit, and then we can live like a follower of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word which you've given to us this morning, and we just pray that as we go out and we seek to, to live life for you, that you would just give us wisdom, that you would Show us in our lives where we can grow, Lord, where there's sin, where there, there, there's struggle that we need to get rid of. Father, we pray that you would help us to clean up our lives. You would help us to give us a godly perspective, that we see things as you see them. Help us to bear fruit. Help us to live as you want us to do, Lord. And we know that it all begins and it all ends with you. And so we yield ourselves to you and we pray this in Jesus' name.